0: This is Liberal Talk on Influenza. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UnityPoint Health St. Luke's Hospital Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, it is the flu season, and as we know, last year we had a very mild, if not absent, flu season. And today, joining me on the podcast is Dr. Evan Deal, who's Vice President and Medical Director of UnityPoint Clinics. And we're going to discuss with him what we're gonna, what we anticipate, what we are seeing, and, and the difference between influenza and COVID. Welcome back to the podcast, Evan.
1: Thanks for having me, Dustin.
0: Hey, let's start off so far. What are we seeing in the hospitals?
1: Yeah, I think uh, so far um, we've been fortunate and have not seen a great uh, amount of influenza this year. Um, I think in November we started seeing our first positive tests. Uh, I understand we only have one positive influenza patient in the hospital right now. They also are hospitalized with COVID, uh, so that's kind of interesting. But uh, we're looking still more at like a handful of positive tests, I think, for patients that are having milder symptoms and being able to manage it at home. You know, the interesting thing is we just we don't know. Who knows what's going to happen the next few months? And uh, I think we all have a a bit of concern, you know, that if there is a large number of patients that are getting ill with influenza, how are we going to add that to the capacity, you know, of an already stressed out health system? But let's, uh, you know, pray that that things aren't as severe and maybe, uh, maybe we'll get lucky.
0: So last year, the exact numbers, we, we were like 300 cases, then 200 cases and then 20 and then zero, you know, just precipitously dropped. And usually it's more of an arc. you know, like you'd expect a bell curve. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? You think it was just all masking and social distancing? Um,
1: it, it's pretty amazing. You know, uh, when you think about it, I, I do think, um, we experienced a lot of isolation you know you think about like the nursing homes and the hospital the clinical care settings where um you know call it masking if you want that's certainly a big component of it but that isolation you know of knowing to keep distancing and keeping anyone who got the sniffles or anything early you know where people are very vigilant in those settings i think to keep people separated and i think that's probably the biggest part of it and Um, Maybe that's what we need to continue to focus on going forward next this next year is that, you know, one of the biggest things has to be if you're sick, you got to stay home, you know, and and you got to be a little bit more vigilant on that than we may have been in the past.
0: Yeah, I think that paradigm's definitely changed for physicians and nurses. I mean, it used to be, okay, if you're mechanically ventilated, you can stay home. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to come into work.
1: Yeah, there's no there's no shame anymore. I think people understand that, you know, yeah. and especially if if you've got a noticeable cough. I mean, it's pretty. I think we all experience this. It's it, it feels pretty uncomfortable to, to cough out in public, you know. You get a lot of leery eyes and think uh, you should be at yeah. home, and yeah. that's
0: probably smart. I think one of the conclusions that I've drawn from last year and how the flu season behaved that. Prior to the pandemic or early on in the pandemic, they were making comparisons to influenza. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think you can compare influenza and COVID-19. I, they're two different viruses. They are both respiratory viruses. But I don't think that you can use one paradigm to approach the other. What, what's your thoughts on that? What, what do you see as the differences between the two?
1: Um, clearly, COVID-19 is, you know, a higher degree of uh, a higher infection rate or you're more contagious um, you know, I'm the first person to say that I, I've been wrong about a lot of things, and I, I remember sitting on my couch back, you know, when we first heard about COVID, thinking like, you know, we know how bad influenza can be, right? I think from a, a physician or provider standpoint, you're used to seeing, you know, people that get intubated or die, you know, from influenza, and so we know that that's a great um, a great challenge, and so. My initial thoughts were like, yeah, this is going to be pretty similar, you know, that most people have mild symptoms, but elderly or even young children, you know, could get very sick. And even if the, you know, mortality rates are in the you know single digit percentage, when you have millions and millions of people get that right, that gets to be a pretty big number like it is for influenza every year. Um, I think there's a big difference between something being endemic and pandemic, you know, that Perhaps there's going to be um, a difference in the severity of illness, you know, five to 10 years from now, if one of us catches COVID because we've had it before or something similar, you know, and so we'll have a bit more understanding of that natural course of the disease, especially if people are having secondary infections, um, which is similar to influenza, you know, like I get influenza now and I kind of know what's going to happen. Or we all remember like, yeah, you have a couple days of fever usually and it's pretty bad, but. Um, But we know what the course is going to be like Um, with with COVID. It's just uh, again, this is also new. Um, We're still learning about what the course is like for most people. And um, it is hard to compare. I I agree with that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you said, that the immunity that will carry over, uh, it will be there from each to other. You know, I I know of two patients that had COVID twice documented real i mean it was real not a persistent positive i mean and the second time they were significantly less ill than the first time Mm -hmm. and so 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 we know there's some circulant immunity that probably carries over same with influenza
1: yeah if you if you think about it in a not technical way i read something on the cdc's website about the influenza vaccine that just said that every year it helps train your body to help fight off influenza and I kind of I like that description of it because, you know, the influenza vaccine doesn't make you completely immune to it. We know that. Right. But it seems like it does help your body train to fight it off. And I think that uh, previous infection from influenza may do the same thing. The same thing for for uh, the SARS-2 coronavirus that we're still learning and our bodies are still training how to fight this off. And, And I think over time we'll get better at it.
0: I think I've told you this, but uh, I know I've probably mentioned on other podcasts. But so the Spanish flu, uh, which has the only thing it has to do with Spain, is that during World War One, Germany and the Central Powers and the Allied Powers didn't want to put in their newspaper that they had influenza going through the trenches. Yeah. But Spain, which was neutral, reported, so it became the Spanish flu. Yeah. But so they noted that young people died, uh, disproportionately older people. And they thought it was because they had a cytokine storm from the flu virus, and they're young and healthy, so they had this this exaggerated response. But now they've gone back and surmised that there was a pandemic in 1889, That's and right. that that this immunity carried through, and so the older people had it in 1889, and they had some residual immunity, so they did better. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I think. I think we're learning more all the time. Obviously, that's the nature of science. But I think we're learning more about immunity and how you can have some memory, uh, even if it doesn't prevent you from getting it, it does prevent you from becoming as ill, yeah, uh, and uh, transmitting it. Influenza and COVID. What are you? Th- what are the similarities and differences as far as physical symptoms?
1: Yeah, you know, you'll see a lot of charts out there trying to describe them. Um, the biggest challenge is that. A lot of them overlap. Um, we think of symptoms of respiratory viral infections, so we think of cough, we think of fever, malaise. Um, if you dig down into it, you know some of the CDC reports will talk about um, gen- more generalized fatigue like severe weakness hitting on might be something that's more with COVID. Um, body aches and, and chills might be something that's more with influenza, um, but there's a great degree of subjectivity there, and clearly some overlap. But um, you know, cough I think is a big one. Fever is what we think of. Uh, that generalized weakness and fatigue; those are the big ones that I think of. You know, we've heard of the anosmia, difficult loss of taste and smell. Uh, I'm not aware of that being part of the influenza, um, but that usually is something that seems like people notice after the fact. You know, as they're as they got fever and got the diagnosis. So I don't know how helpful that is. Uh, to catch it initially. Those are the ones that I think of. I don't know if there's any I missed there, Dustin.
0: No, that's, that's you know, that uh, loss of taste and smell, it seems to be pretty um, pathognomonic or, or consistent with COVID compared to other illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, we, you mentioned, I remember when this all started, um, uh, something about mucus or snot, right, that there didn't seem to be, I think with both of these, we usually don't think about as much the Profusely runny nose, right? Uh, super right, stuffy yeah. nose, and um, even some sore throat. That that's probably more what we think of a typical seasonal cold, and yeah. and that's an important uh, difference. Um, again, there is some uh, a lot of overlap there, as that runny nose might you know progress to a cough, and is that going to be influenza? I understand people being concerned about that, but I think if you start with something that's primarily sinus. You know, and and starting up there and then maybe progresses to a cough. That's probably unlikely to be an influenza uh, or COVID in, in my understanding. Uh,
0: I just read an article, a journal somewhere here on my desk. But um, unlike, you know, remember medical school, you learn influenza staph. RAS is the most common yeah. secondary pneumonia yeah. or, or, or seen with that strep remains the most common cause of pneumonia, period. But staff with viral infections to so the super infection, and that's what a lot of people die from. Mm-hmm. Elderly people they get a super infection on top of the influenza. Uh, that's as our intensivists have noted in our hospitalists, That's pretty rare with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, they're not getting secondary bacterial infections. Um, yeah,
1: and we've you know certainly when the people get critically ill, a lot of times antibiotics seem like a reasonable. You know maybe there is some underlying bacterial infection we don't know so i think um there's been some usage of antibiotics but not a lot of documented you know specific uh, organisms
0: the other thing i came across uh that i found of interest was super spreader events so that means one person i think it's eight one person infects eight people mm-hmm. uh, that's a super spreader event not seen with influenza uh, so if you, you know that kind of gives it away too, that maybe, right. okay, this might. And we don't see the lymphocytopenia, the thrombocytopenia, the low platelets, low lymphocytes that we saw with in uh, the elevated D dimer that we right. saw with the, um, do you
1: um you know you mentioned the super spreader? I still wonder if that comes back to, you know just some some degree of previous immunity, right? Like that perhaps those people have had some influenza either exposure in the past or had it in the past, and perhaps that's why. You know, they could be around someone and not contract the disease.
0: It's well, just- I think I think part of it is that influenza is predominantly droplet and COVID, although I I feel it's airborne. I think the evidence that it is airborne is is I go back to the USS Roosevelt, you know, they could see where sailors were based on the duty log and they had no contact with other people, but yet they got it. So um so I think I think that might be part of it, too.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you wonder, like, could it be could it still be the same degree of being droplet, but just that if you had influenza before what we call a yeah. droplet? You could get it, you know, a few of those droplets and really not get infected um, versus if it is just droplet for COVID and it's so infectious that if you get just a little, you know, just a, a few of those uh, virus uh, viruses in your mucosa, that that's enough.
0: Um, it's just, it's really hard to confirm that. Yeah, it is super hard to prove that something's actually airborne. Yeah. Um, it, and it's really just over time and evidence they can surmise that confidently. Um, it's very difficult to culture something out of the air. Yeah. I think the the concern that reading some of the PhD literature, the immunologist, that what you talked about, how you have some your body is trained to fight off influenza each year. And last year we weren't exposed to influenza. And so there's the risk that we could have a worse flu season because we don't have that carryover immunity that we'd have during falling in a normal flu season. So, so that's yet to be seen. Now, the southern hemispheres did fine, um, but they, they actually had, if you think about it, they had their flu. Uh, why they still had a rather high efficacy of the vaccines? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they're available in January. They're getting them. Um, you know, I I, I, I think I, I think you and I were talking about this the other day. That if we didn't know the vaccines would only have six months, we would give them in July.
1: Yeah, or, you know the we'll have to thing. figure out what the. Is there going to be an annual thing? You know, it sounds like there's officially they're saying they think that's unlikely right now. You know, if you get the full series, Um, but what's the perfect timing? You know, will there be annual changes? I I think any of that's possible. Wouldn't be
0: surprised. Well, in addition to the uh, flu shot, uh, the vaccine, um, what other things can people do to prevent catching the flu?
1: yeah um i think it's simple things you know we talked about just washing our hands in hospital settings we have the alcohol um you know hand washing stuff which is fine but washing your hands as best as you can um staying home when you're sick you're not feeling well um, or covering your cough you know the polite things that we teach our kids to do cover our cough and uh, wash our hands i think are really important yeah, i think masks are going to be a big part of our communities and societies for for a large group of people going forward for quite a while. I mean, you saw what happened after the initial SARS outbreak in the Asian countries that that culturally became a lot more acceptable. And I think there will be some more of that. Um, You hear people talk about just being, right now, they're uncomfortable being in big groups of people, you know, public transit, you know, imagine being on the subway or something like that. I would understand that, Um, you know, wanting to To feel like you're protecting others and wanting to be wearing a mask when this pandemic ends might still continue, um, but I think it's the simple things. I think it's washing your hands, it's covering your cough, it's staying away, staying away from people when you're sick. Um, you know, isolating, staying home, not going to work if you've got a fever and a cough, um, and uh, just trying to think about each other. Right again, it's all of this comes back to us trying to protect each other.
0: Um, if if I'm staying home with influenza, you know, normal five to seven days usually is the course of the illness. Um, what else should I do at home? Hydration?
1: That's a, that's a great question. And I think it's, it's really different for different populations, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager in your twenties or thirties, you know, it's, I think it's really, really unlikely if you're healthy to, to run into a, um, a severe problem from typical influenza. Um, for older folks, I, I still I think about and I talk with patients about like, well, what's changed? Have they stopped eating and drinking? You know, like that's a big sign. If you're in bed for two or three days with fever and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're sixty 60 plus and you've stopped eating, you know, that's not a good sign. Right. Um, lethargy and mental status changes in older folks when they're not talking. Um, you know, that's something to be concerned about. And so um, it is important uh, to stay hydrated, especially if you're having a fever, Um, you know, your metabolism's ramped up, you're really likely to get dehydrated. But if you have other medical conditions, if you're an older person and you're on a lot of medications, you know, some of those medications like diuretics and things like that, as soon as you throw in a, a wrench like having a fever and not having your normal fluid and sodium intake like I think you're at risk for a lot of complications and that's how yeah. we see people come in getting really really sick uh, dehydrated with kidney failure and so that is something where if I think after a day or two of having a fever if you're not feeling better you need to talk to your doctor yeah. um, you know but if you're if you're a 25 year old who's not on any meds and you're able to get some chicken noodle soup down and feel miserable for a couple of days, but stay in bed, make sure you're drinking. Um, that's something that I think, you know, chances are you'll be fine.
0: I would say in my 25 years of practice, I, I've seen influenza followed by exacerbations of heart failure is a very common scenario, more so than super pneumonias or, yeah. you know, some degree of COPD exacerbations. But that's really a small sliver of the population it's really that heart failure exacerbation follows influenza. It's been my experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just I think it it can it can really throw a complication in one of those other chronic medical conditions, which is usually well controlled. Or, you know, if you're someone with um, really bad lung disease, bad COPD, uh, clearly that's at risk for causing uh, a big problem with an acute respiratory illness like influenza.
0: Yeah, because some of those patients, it's this far uh, from a good day and a bad day. You know yeah. just a mild influenza can really push them over well before we wrap it up I'd like to extend a congratulations to the new addition to the deal household recently mom yeah, you're doing well
1: yeah appreciate it we've got uh, three little boys at home and uh it's uh, it's very exciting
0: you went from man coverage to zone so we'll yeah. see how that goes
1: exactly <laughs> Evan
0: thanks for joining me today once again that's dr Evan deal vice president medical director unit Point Clinic uh, to schedule your flu shot, contact your primary care provider, and I also believe uh, some of the pharmacies offered as well. For the latest on flu, COVID-19, and more, uh, visit unitypoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.